brother. It's good to be in the house of the Lord on such a wonderful, beautiful, cool fall Sunday. Amen. We have a prayer request. I know we take prayer requests later also in the service. But Brother Robert turned this in, and this is his grandmother is in the hospital, and she has cancer. Let's pray for her right now. Lord, we come to you right now. We ask you to touch Mary in Jesus' name with a healing touch. And, Lord, you see this request, and you understand the love that's involved in the concern. And we thank you, Lord. And I know that you're a healer. And everybody said amen in Jesus' name. God bless you. Remain standing. Let me read just let me read just a few verses. How many are how many are comfortable today? That uh, is you comfortable? How many are warm? You are my people. How many are cold? <sighs> it's hot to me, but anyway. And since I'm such a selfish person, somebody go back there and give us a little cool. Brother Myers, a little cool, or, or at least cut the heat off or turn the fire down. And uh, Sister Grant told me that she was comfortable, so I know that is me. He said, well, why are you making him do something? Because I'm selfish, or, you, you know, y'all don't want me to fall out. Let me read from the book of Matthew, chapter 5 and, and verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Lord, I ask you to bless your word today. And I ask you to touch every honest heart here in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. It just occurred to me because I've heard elder ministers pray that prayer, and I do a lot. If you're here and you don't have an honest heart, we're still glad that you're here. <laughs> honest or dishonest, we're glad you're in the house of the Lord, and we trust that the Lord can can help you. Um. Brother Clinty called me this morning, and he was laughing about something. Yesterday was opening day of the youth season for deer hunting, and his nephew, Matt, took his little boy hunting. He'd reached an age. He wanted to go hunting, so that little place they went. And they hadn't been hunting very long, and this, they said this big eight-point buck steps out, and, and he gets the little boy, gets him lined up, and, and the young fellow shoots and misses. And the deer's startled and a little confused. 
runs around through some woods and comes out the other side of the stand. Now he's on the other side of the stand, even closer than he was. That little boy gets ready and misses again. <laughs> and so the father's pretty pretty upset and perturbed. And After a while, they left. They're walking back to the truck, and another bunk jumped out in the road. And they had time. He said, I had time to crouch down. And, and get this little boy and get him lined up, get him, get him steady. And he said the deer started walking towards us. Father's very upset, and he's telling Brother Clinton, he said, I'm going to, he said, I'm going to, he said, Uncle Darrell, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take him to the gun range, and I'm going to get him on sandbags, and I guess something's wrong with the scope, and maybe, and he's going, and I, and he said, while I'm telling my son all of this, my son says, Dad, there's something I need to tell you. Well, what's that, Bubba? He said, every time you told me to shoot, he said, I did my best, but I closed my eyes every time I pulled the trigger. Now, children, if we've ever lived in a day and a time when you need to keep your eyes open, is today, not just physically, but but spiritually. You keep your eyes open. It doesn't matter what else you do in preparation. If you close your eyes, you're not going to reach your target. And everybody say, I, I understand. Years ago, I have listened to Brother Kraft teach about what we call the Beatitudes. And I remember being probably 18 or 19 years old and thinking, not the Beatitudes again, or the Beatitudes. Because he'd always say, the Beatitudes are attitudes that should be. These are the attitudes that you should have. But in preparing for this lesson this morning, what I have realized, because I'm no longer 18, the Beatitudes are a very, very deep, complex subject. And I know it's a whole lot more fun when we're jump, we want to jump and shout and dance about. That is a lot of fun, and it's, and it's really invigorating. And most of the time, it does not help your Christian growth. It helps your leg muscles a lot. Gets your adrenaline going, and it's fun, and you're worshiping, and and that. But if that's all that you ever do, and you never sit down and and listen and be taught, you're not ever going to know anything. You're just going to be shouting and dancing with your eyes closed, which, let me give you some advice, is not that great an idea either. Brother Kraft told me one time he's shouting and <laughs> dancing. Stepped off a platform and got hemmed up between the altar and the platform, so I nearly broke my leg. He said, "Well, you think do you think that was the devil?" He said, "No, I think you need to shout with your eyes open, so you can see where you're going." And so, don't really want to go down that road or about that subject. But when Jesus was giving this instruction, the Beatitudes, it's one of the sermons on the mount, not not. The Sermon on the Mount. There are more than more than one, 
But the very first verse says this. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Now, Dr. Matthew Henry says that in this very first, very first verses, that number one, the preacher was Jesus Christ himself. Whatever he says is important. Whatever he says is is noteworthy, and he was he was on a mountain in Galilee, not one of what was considered the holy mountains, but he was on a mountain in Galilee. He was the Christ. It was an exposition of the law, which is significant because that's where the law was given through Moses. We believe. In case you're here and you don't know this, we believe that Jesus Christ is God Almighty in the flesh. We believe that he is the incarnated God in the the flesh. I apologize for laughing at myself, but something happened a couple weeks ago. I just thought about it, and relax, honey, I shall not reveal who the young man was. But a young man of our acquaintance, calls us, and he is in love. Love. Again, he's been in love before. And last night, it didn't turn out that well. Let, listen, let me tell you something about love. Tell you something about love. I'm old enough to know about love. Let me tell you something. Love is, it is a durable thing. You can't, you can't stomp it out. You can't, you can't, Make it go away. And if you have teenagers, a little younger than that, a little older, you're going to find out. When they think they're in love, huh, 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 and you say things, it's just puppy love. It's real to the puppy. And almost worse thing, sometimes you do, I, I forbid you. Huh? Good luck with forbidding. It just makes them look better. They're no good. You just made them look like a sterling candidate. Because that's that's the way younger people younger but but he's not that young and he's in love. Oh, he is in love. And he says to us Tell me how he said it again. I've forgotten exactly what just tell oh come on, it'll be okay. We're not gonna tell them. They won't know. They won't find out. What did he say? What was the word? How did he pronounce agape? Agape? He says to us, I'm so in love, I've got agape love for this woman. Number one. Number one. It's pronounced agape love. Number two, you don't have any of it. You can't get it. The only measure of agape love is Jesus Christ. God is the only one that has agape love. Agape love has nothing to do with you thinking some little girl is a cutie pie. Or in her thinking, oh, you're just wonderful. I want you to be the father of my children. That's not agape love. It is a love of, of a sort, but 
sometimes at that point, God hadn't got much to do with it other than he put this inside of us to be attracted. And I thank the Lord for that because Sister Grant would have never married me. But because she knew my family, she knew we weren't rich. I don't know what she was thinking. I don't think you know what you were thinking. It's something the Lord puts inside. And she says, I have learned that myself. But the Lord puts something inside of us because in, in our nature so that I've heard it described as temporary blindness. I've heard it described as temporary insanity. And one of my favorite is the little story someone told me of of a man who said to his wife, how can you be so gorgeous and so dumb? And she smiled and said, well, the Lord made me gorgeous so you would marry me, and he made me dumb so I would marry you. But a gappy love. <laughs> a gap, I'm going to move on to it. I'm gonna, I promise I'm not, I'm not going to get any closer to that rose bush. I'm not going to. Oh, but I want to. Oh, I want. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to. You don't have agape love for some chick because she's cute. You don't have some agape love for a man because he has that chiseled, that chiseled look. I never had the chiseled look, and all the chisel that I have is very rounded. My corners are rounded off. So, <laughs> apologize a little for agape love. Let's move on. But the Bible, in the very first verse, here Jesus is with a multitude. He's on the mountain. He's the speaker. And here's what the very first verse says. And when he had placed himself, let me back up. When he was set, the very verse first says, and seeking the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, the disciples came unto him. Matthew Henry says this means when he had placed himself at the strategic place where he could be heard by almost everybody, and when he got ready. Because when he started speaking, he wasn't just talking. And the Lord taught, he taught a lot of different things, and we called them parables in a lot of different circumstances. But this one was different in that he set himself, and he got ready, and he was about to say something very important. And the first thing that he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit means to be humble or have humility, not to be prideful. In conversation a few days ago, the it, it, things came up with people who People who march all over the country, they're protesting. Oh, we're protesting this. Oh, we're protesting that. When it's Easter, they protest the baby chicks. You know, and that's, that's a bad deal. Baby chicks get a big, bad deal. 
But some people try to pretend that they love these little baby chicks so much because they're in the cruel hands of these children. Oh, yeah, it'd be a lot better if they grow up and we cook them. It'd be a lot better. One person told me, I don't ever eat anything that has a face. Hmm. You ever look closely at a cabbage? I've seen some of them smiling at me. Be that as it may. And I told them, they said, well, what do you think? What do you think all of this anxiety, all of this writing, uh, Antifa or whatever they are, wearing the mask and running around and and hitting people and spraying people. And doing, what, what, do you, what about all this? And I said, let me just sum that up for you. This is my opinion. That is a bunch of rich people who don't have anything else to do. A few, a few days ago, a bunch of them come in town and, and hung themselves, suspended themselves off the Fred Hartman Bridge and stopped traffic for hours and hours and hours and hours. All I can tell you, you said, but they weren't old people. They were young. Then they must be trust fund babies. Only rich people can hang around on a bridge and stop working people from going home from work and getting to work. And I think 99% of it is people who got too much money and don't have much sense or don't have anything to do. Because if you could ask them, you got a 1,000 of them marching. Marching for Greenpeace. Marching, save the trees. I saw a bumper sticker one time. It said, save the gay unborn whales. Well, that kind of sums it all up, doesn't it? But if you could ask them, because it's it's 11 o'clock, why aren't you in school? Why aren't you in work? Do you have a job? Yeah, my job is protest. Well, how do you pay your light bill? And so just summing up, just a bunch of crazy rich people that don't have anything else to do. But poor in spirit means to be humble. Let me, if you would let me, if you. <laughs> you say, well, how, how can we stop you? Well, if you would let me. I want to read something from one of my favorite small books. When I say small book, it's not it's not it's not very big, but it's also not very thick. I, I love books, and I know we live in the. I don't have a Kindle. You have Kindle, don't you? He loves Kindles. He loves to read Kindle. I like, I like books more, but I, this is one of my favorite favorite books in my library. It's called Light Through an Eastern Window, and it's by Bishop Casey Pillai who, given a little background on him, he uh, he grew up in the Eastern Eastern culture and is a, uh, a noted writer for Eastern religion. And he actually grew up as a native of India, born into a Hindu home, and educated highly, he was in the Indian Orthodox Church ministries and all. And so, light through an eastern window, because we say we say a lot of things in here that we think we know about the Bible and culture. For instance, and I, I'm not going to go through this. The church families heard me teach before in this book because I like this book. But when Jesus Christ was born, the Bible says that he was 
wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. And every time I used to hear that story, I was sorry for Jesus. He didn't have a bassinet. He didn't have a crib. He didn't have a little rocker thingy. He, he had a, all he had was a manger and swaddling clothes. <laughs> and I, I think about swaddling. You know what swaddling clothes are? It's just old junk rags and clothes and not, not it. He's all swaddled. Well, why couldn't he have why couldn't he have some kind of nice clothes? I always felt so sorry for Jesus. Because that's how it was presented. But Dr. Pillai writing, like through an eastern window, he says, he says to us in our culture, this is funny for somebody to think that way, because all of the kings and all of the princes and all of the poor people that are born in our culture are wrapped in swaddling clothes. It has nothing to do with how rich or how poor you are. It's just what you do. So I was I was reading and studying, and uh, Sister Grant, who who is a Bible scholar, make make no mistake. I know I tease her a lot, but she is a Bible scholar. And sometimes she says things to me like, "Well, how do you?" How do you just throw something together? You just, I study and I, I'm doing it for, for days, for days. And, and it shows, too, because she's very, very precise and adept. And she has binders and footnotes, and and she's very good. And, but she said, how? It just seems like you just, because I loved her telling this. She'll say, are you ready? I said, oh, no, 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 I don't want to do and that is mean because it's not entirely true. What I mean is, no, I don't have it. Yeah, no, it's not. No. I still got my eyes closed. But I study all the time. I study all the time. I have fragments of things. They're everywhere. They're in my mind. They're in my suitcases. They're in nose. It's just I study because I study life and I study human nature. And I study the scripture. So this is one of the things that I like to study is Eastern thought. Matthew 21 and 12. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. Now, I've heard this preached about, and I have preached this, that Jesus the Lord God Almighty, and and he said themselves, you, you've made my father's house a den of thieves, and I want it to be a house of prayer. Goes in there, has a little whip. He said, Jesus, that's right. He had a whip and was whipping, there's a good Texas expression, he whipped the fire out of them, turned the tables over, showed out. Buddy of mine, one time, he was really affronted. He said, I'm going to get there, I'm going to show out, and I'm going to draw a crowd before I do. I said, well, good luck, Bubba. Don't go to jail. Jesus physically. Now, here's what, here's what I've preached and what I've always thought. And I'm not telling you that Mr. Pillai is wrong. I'm just giving you something interesting to think about. You think whatever you want to. Because the result was the same. He beat the fire out of them and run them out. And get, get, you get out of here. But I always thought, because I thought about the money changers, 
and I thought about the people selling the doves and selling different different things for sacrifices, and I thought that they had their vendor's booth set up there to make money. How, how many of you thought that? It's not a trick question. Not a trick, okay. How many of you thought something else? How many of you never thought about it? How many are you not even listening to me? I, that's, that's what I thought. <laughs> what I thought. I thought it was a commercial thing. And until I read this, I didn't think it. But but listen. But think about this: in the middle of Jerusalem, the temple. How many people during the day really are going to make sacrifices every day? It wouldn't be enough to make enough money for that to be your job. Not unless you're one of those people out on the street corner protesting. Protesting camels. Camels should not be in it. Protesting donkeys. Whatever they protested back then. Anyway, let me just read this to you. He says, 3,000 years before Christ, this same type of temple existed in India with an outer porch where things were sold, the inner sanctuary for the congregation, the tabernacle for the priests, and the Holy of Holies. As in Jerusalem, the Hindus sell goods in the porch area, which was the acceptable place to do this, these sellers do not, as is sometimes thought, make a living selling these offering items, but come voluntarily to the porch occasionally as a service to God. So that those who did not have time to go to the market before coming to the temple may be accommodated. Hindus believe it's a sin to waste any time, and if a man has an hour for lunch and it only takes a half hour, for him to eat, he should go to the market, buy some mandrakes, balm, fruit, flowers, or doves to sell in the temple porch, and the profit is then given to the temple. This is what the people were doing when Jesus chased them out and said to them in Matthew, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And you say, well, if they were selling in the proper place and they were doing a proper thing, why did, why did Jesus say, I say unto you, he that hindereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber? The people selling in the porch were spiritual thieves and robbers thinking that they could gain good favor with God by doing a service for the people. And he said, they're spiritual thieves. Now, you say, well, I like the one better where Jesus just got mad at them. Okay, well, I'm good with that too. I'm good with that too. But it kind of opened my thinking a little bit because this man says all of the vendors would just do it part-time because they're wanting to get in good with God, or they saw it as a service to God, not for the money. Now, don't you feel better knowing that? 
Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And this mourning is, it can, it can be regret over our own sins or the sins of the world or when we've hurt people who have been so good to us, but also it can be mourning for the suffering of others. And uh, just recently in our congregation, Sister Rosie has suffered a great loss, and Sister John Ellen, and John Ellen's sick this morning, by the way. She sent me a text. And we grieve with them also in our church family. Tom and Betty Manasco are both so sick and so ill that Mike has become a full-time caretaker because he just doesn't have any choice. And if you can reach out to them or if you can help them, God bless you. Uh, Sister Grant read something today, I guess, on a district website that Kira Sharp, Kira Sharp's son was killed, I guess, yesterday in an automobile accident. And... Uh, I haven't. I'm not real close to Carrie, but we we uh, used to hunt together a little bit with Merlin Swan, and that's just that is just a tragedy. That is just a tragedy. And the the death of a loved one. It's just so, it's just so hard. And I was telling Clifton and Kevin, I was talking to them down here at the front at Ross's funeral. And I told him, I said, my father's been dead 27 years. And one of them says, well, do you, when do you, I said, oh, you don't ever get over it. You, you don't ever get over the death of a loved one. And you're not supposed to. Let me tell you something. Whatever your pain is, whatever your pain, whatever that pain is elevated to, whatever degree that you miss them and love them and all that is is a reflection of how much you loved them and how much they loved you. And you say, well, you're pretty much an old coot. You still miss your dad every day, every day. Now, you, you get to where you can get up and you can drink coffee and look at mom and say, how you doing, sweetie? And she ain't listening to you because she's talking to her mom and dad on the phone. And they're 80-something years old, still active as squirrels. And I'm a little bit jealous. And then I get over it, and I'm glad for her. What, what, what a blessing. I'd love, I would love to be able to talk to my mom and hear her say, Son, you need to lose about 100 pounds. 100 would be pretty good. Or listen to my dad tell me something. Rob, my dad, had he had good advice. Good advice. You know why? You know why it was so good? Because he was my dad. One of these days, I'm not going to be your pastor anymore. And you're going to miss me. 
about that. I'm pretty much wishing you'd ship out. Well, good luck for that. But I'm not going to be your pastor one. And, and it's going to dawn on you. He loved us. He was a good daddy. And I do love you. Have I got you feeling bad enough yet? Okay, I'm going to move on then. They're not good parents necessarily because they're so wise. It's because they love you. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. If you hunger and thirst, and this righteousness, if you hunger and thirst for temperance, everybody say temperance. Temperance, temperance. Oh, I, I can do that. That means being, oh, that just means being level. That means not going to any extremes. I struggle with that because of the way that I grew up. I, I have this, I have this, maybe I shouldn't tell you this stuff. But I struggle with things. I reached a point when I was, when I finally, when I finally could make my own money, I got to where I couldn't go to sleep if I didn't know there was chocolate milk in the refrigerator. Because I would think, well, what if I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and I want some chocolate milk? He said, Brother Grant, what's wrong with you? You can get chocolate milk anywhere. No, you can't if you don't have it in the refrigerator. And then I went through a phase with, with Mountain Dew, because I love Mountain Dew. I couldn't, do you remember all that, honey? You do remember, because I would ask you. She would make me some chocolate milk, put it beside the bed, and then she'd make me some Mountain Dew. Say, you're crazy. But I've struggled with, if I find something that I really like, I really like, and I, I struggle with this now. If I find a fish bait, Scott Harden told me one time, you go down there to Walmart and you get your little, their little spoon, Brother Grant, they're about, about that big right there, and they're chrome, and they got chartreuse dots on them. Best fish bait I ever, ever. And so I went down there. I couldn't buy just one because what if they stop making them? And what if it's that, I'm, no, it's, a, it's a problem. I got a problem. I want buying a handful of them. You know where they are? They're still in a box somewhere in my house. I've used those stinking things, and best I recall, I've caught one fish. So I struggle with temperance. Thank God most of my problems have not been, you know, I never was a gambler. I never was a drug addict. Tried smoking a little bit. Was five years old. Made me so sick I turned green and then threw up. When I was 14, I tried chewing tobacco. <laughs> no, I tried chewing tobacco. I want to know what the magic was. I kept hearing this little ditty on the radio and it'd say, Never turn your back on a friend. To catch bass, you got to get close in. And beach nuts are tobacco you chew. And I found some beach nuts out in the woods one time. Oh, look, the beach nut. And I reached down there and got me a big old chew. And back then, it had stems and dirt and everything. And I put me a big look in there. 
chawed on it. You don't chew it, you chaw, you chaw. And I stepped over a log and, and nearly tripped on a vine and swallowed about half of that beech nut. Let me just go ahead and save you some trouble in case that made you want some. It ain't near about good as advertised. Beech nut is not the tobacco that you chew. So I was over that. But I but I have I've struggled with with it's hard to be temperate. It's hard to be temperate. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Luke six and thirty six, be merciful just as your father is merciful. The Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Matthew 25 and verse 34. Wow, I got I to gotta hurry. For such, for such a shallow, insipid subject like Brother Kraft tried to teach about and teach us for years. I should have, Brooklyn, I should have been listening better to him. What I should have been doing instead of saying, to be attitudes again. I'd have a better attitude if I'd listened to the be attitudes. Matthew 25 and 34, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat, and I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison or came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. There are there are different works of mercy. Some some are, are physical, some are spiritual. And and this is from uh, the words of Jesus himself. Number one, feed the hungry. Now I'm not I'm not saying find somebody on the street corner and give them money. I mean you can if you want to, but I, I think a whole lot of them are are funny. In fact I'm pretty sure they are. I gave some money one time to a a raving lunatic. And he was in Baytown. It's been several years ago, but he—you'd see him all over. And he had a cart, big nasty hairy-looking beard that I know something is living in that beard. Don't know what. Something's in there. Hair skew, always. But I felt sorry for him. I felt bad for him. He's standing on the corner, got a little sign. Because I've seen a bunch of them. I've seen a bunch of them. Sister Grant seen some too. You remember the vet you saw, baby? She saw a guy with a sign that said he's a vet out of work. She was a lot younger. She thought he was a veterinarian. I said, baby, really? Did he have his dog with him? 
But most of them I've seen that proclaim to be hungry, they don't look that hungry. They're kind of rounded like me. And they may have bad-looking clothes, but they're always neatly, you know, they're washed and they're clean. And I've seen bunches of them. I saw one of them take his sign and walk over to the interstate and put it down behind a pit and pulled up. There were three or four variations that you could get. And I actually watched one where he was through with his shift, walk across the lot into the mall and get in the car and leave. But this guy wasn't like that. He was scary. I felt sorry for him. And I stopped, rolled the window down. He's, he's a raving lunatic. Ah! 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 And I said, how you doing, buddy? I want to give you some money. And his whole demeanor changed. And for a moment, he was, it's like, wow, somebody's being nice. Because he was a scary-looking dude. It's easier to be nice to a little Girl Scout selling cookies. And it is some, I mean, this guy looks like he reached through the window and pulled your tongue out of your head. But for a moment, his eyes just cleared and he said, thank you. Thank you. Give drink to the thirsty. Clothe the naked. Shelter the homeless. Come with them in prison. And my time's up and I'm not even... I still have pages to go. So after church today, I may call Brother Kraft and apologize and say that little bitty subject that you always used to hammer on that I always wondered why you never would get through with it. It's a vast, vast subject. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you for your sweet presence. I thank you for your abiding presence. You're always with us. No matter how foolish we are, no matter how we veer from the path, you're always there with us to comfort and lead and guide. And I thank you for your precious word. Lord, comfort, comfort cares sharp this morning. Only, only you can, only you can. And everybody said in Jesus' name. God bless you. Let's take a break. Shake hands and be friendly. Worship will start in about 15, 20 minutes.